This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Thursday Lit Lit Show. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And with me tonight in a packed show, we have Dr. Kira Fitzpatrick. And hopefully joining us later, we have Principal Kevin Donaghy. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So, Kira, you're one of several authors on a very important report that came out this week looking at how cuts are affecting education in Northern Ireland. So, uh, so Kira, tell me, how did uh, the report come about? So, really, in March and April, I recognised that there was a slew of cuts coming through from the Department of Education the Permanent Secretary, there seemed to be a new cut every single day. And I was immediately concerned for those families who are really in poverty because these cuts were really targeting the most vulnerable children in Northern Ireland. So that was my first concern. And I immediately thought, right, what could I possibly do about this? So a couple of months previously, I had um, done a seminar on children in poverty in Stranmalis. And I had been introduced for the first time to Professor Noel Purdy. Um, So I got a few of us together, um, colleagues in Ulster, and then colleagues in Stranmalis suggested other people in Queens that might have something interesting to say. And it ended up to be about nine of us from across Ulster, Queen's University, Belfast, Stranmalis University College and Newcastle University. And that's Professor Colin Murray, who has specialism in sort of constitutional law and the limits on decision making powers of senior civil servants, was that, which was actually a really interesting part of the report. So we all got together um, and that was really, um, you know, the beginning of May. Um, and we were talking about different things that we could do. Uh, we also consulted with our friends and colleagues in the community and voluntary sector in the Children's Law Centre, for example. And we came to the conclusion that we should put our expertise in academia to good use. And we decided we would do a rapid uh, response to, to these cuts look at all the different groups of people that were impacted, including children and families in poverty, ethnic minority children and young people, people who have special educational needs and disabilities, and people with mental health issues, and look at the consequences of the cuts for these different marginalised groups of people. And that's exactly what we did. So I set a deadline of the 5th of June for everybody to have a section written up. And then from the 5th of June to the launch, which was just there on Tuesday, we went about editing the report, you know, having a peer reviewed and giving it, getting other people to read through it. 
uh, and bringing it all together. And we literally just got it finalized on Monday the 26th before it was published on the 27th. So it really was um, a rapid response. And I suppose I would take this opportunity to commend the efforts of the nine academics who really freely participated and collaborated on this project. You know, we didn't receive any funding. We did it because we're really worried. We're really passionate about children and young people. And we're really frightened for the long-term harm that could be caused if all of these cuts proceed. And I think we're only going to really see the damage that will be caused, you know, in the next year, two years, three years down the line. And um, we'll maybe come to that point in a minute, uh, Kira. So uh, are you a very hard taskmaster then? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoy working with other people. Um, and, you know, that's really what has driven this project and also people's willingness to to just to stick to the deadlines was <laughs> really, really <laughs> welcome. Um, so, no, we worked really well together, I have to say, and um, it's really a credit to everybody who got involved. And I should say, you know, that the Children's Law Centre very, very uh, helpfully reviewed the report for us as well. Um, and colleagues in Ulster University and Queen's University reviewed the report. So, so many different people were involved and we owe a debt of gratitude to everybody. Now, we will include, uh, you know, the report in the show notes and we will put everybody's name and, uh, you know, their, their Twitter handles or whatever in the show notes as well. So, you know, listeners Brilliant. can contact them and, uh, and follow up. But Kira, mm -hmm. if I could take you back, you you noticed then a cluster of uh, decisions being made that were going to have adverse effects on young people, and you've outlined in, in particular uh, young people with special education needs and young people with mental health issues and so on. Um, so even though you know we we will include the report, what are some of those cuts? What what's in that cluster? The first cut that really, I suppose, sparked my interest, because as I said, Paul, my research area is poverty, social security, destitution. Um, and really, so the cut that really sparked my attention to look at education and the overall impacts was the cut to the free school meal grants that are, have been paid out over holiday periods from the COVID pandemic in 2020. And um, those holiday hunger payments, as they became known, account for £27 per fortnight per child entitled to free school meals. And that's 96,300 chil 96, children across Northern Ireland. So, I mean, the scale of the harm due to this cut is significant, particularly at a time when we see really historically high inflation, particularly for food. So the latest Office for National Statistics um, figures come out there uh, last week and we see that inflation on food is around 18.3%. So, you know, and before that it was 19.4% or something like that. So sitting in and around 20%, I think it's fair to say. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's higher for, for some food items. So it's a really toxic summer ahead for families with children that are entitled to free school meals. 
because they're going to face these high food prices. They've lost this really, really supportive entitlement that they have been getting for a number of years and which research shows has been making a real difference, particularly for those low income families. And as well as that, they face other financial pinch points, such as the high cost of school uniforms in Northern Ireland. We know the grant was increased by 20% last year, but that still leaves it below what is offered in the rest of the UK um, in Wales, Scotland and England. So it's still falling quite significantly below what is offered there. And it doesn't include items such as school shoes. So, I mean, families have a really tough eight weeks ahead of them. But as well as that, we saw um, an end to the Happy Healthy Minds programme, which was a mental health and wellbeing intervention that was offered in schools. And a lot of school leaders really saw massive value in that as they see increased numbers of children and young people who are presenting with mental health issues. Um, in John McMullen's section of the report, he outlines that mental health is a particular issue for Northern Ireland due to our, our history, um, our, our long running conflict um, and, you know, specific issues around deprivation and poverty um, and intergenerational economic disadvantage. And, you know, really, young people and children in Northern Ireland have a 25% um, higher chance of developing mental health issues. So that's that, that was another um, severe cut. The ENGAGE programme as well, which was introduced um, during COVID as well, and that was really to support closing the educational disadvantage gap that, you know, was, was came about over the COVID-19 pandemic with all of our home learning. And it feels like with that cut, COVID suddenly becomes a distance, distant memory, but we know that it's impacting so many young people and children, um, and it's having a impact on the educational underachievement gap. So again, another really important programme that has been cut. Um, and the list goes on and on. I mean, capital spending has been cut. 28 new uh, school projects have been shelved. We see a 50% cut in the budget for special educational need coordinators, 50% cut in the SEN transformation program, a 50% cut in the shared schools, the shared education funding, which for listeners who aren't from Northern Ireland, we still have a segregated school system here. So the shared education fund provided for um, children and young people from Catholic maintained schools and controlled schools to get together and to learn from each other. Um, you know, a 40% cut in the period products provision that was um, that had been provided since legislation was passed in 2022. Um, I mean, a, a cut to the extended schools program, the end of the cycling proficiency tests, the end of young enterprise programme in schools, the end of sports coaching from the GA, the Gaelic Athletic Association in Northern Ireland and the IFA, the Irish Football Association. So a total stripping out of any kind of extracurricular activities that enrich our students' learning, particularly those from a disadvantaged background. So, I mean, the list goes on and on and we are led to believe that there's more to come because 
I've read correspondence where, you know, about £172 million worth of cuts have been executed. But the overall shortfall for the Department of Education is in excess of 300 million. So there's a massive question there as to where can these extra savings be found? Also, you know, the Education Authority has increased their cost in terms of school cleaning um, some charges for school maintenance. Um, and hopefully you will be speaking to a school leader, you know, a school leader later on, and he'll outline how 96% of his budget goes on staff costs, which only provides 4% for everything else. And, uh, you know, Mr. Donaghy from St. Roland's Primary School in Newry said that his gas bill last year was £30,000. So, I mean, uh, how can a school be expected to live within its means when we have inflation continuing to ravage and supports that were offered for energy from the government come to an end on the 1st of July. So it's it's just a really, really horrible environment for educators in Northern Ireland at the moment and for those people who are invested in our children's futures. Vera, that's a very bleak picture you, you paint of not, and it's great to hear it spoken. You know, we've read it in the report and we've read it in, in the press and, and, and so on. But when you hear you describe that and with the, you know, the, the intensity and the passion with which you describe it, it's very, very real and very, very worrying. Um, you mentioned a couple of things. And just for listeners who maybe don't know about shared education, we covered a programme on shared education recently with uh, expert practitioner Alistair Hamill, and listeners could go and, and search that out. Um, so, Kira, is this all Northern Ireland? Is nobody else affected by anything like this? Or are we the poor relative here? We are absolutely the poor relative. I'm part of, oh, sorry. I'll start that again. I just lost you. We are absolutely okay. the poor, <laughs> we are absolutely the poor relative here, and um, you know the permanent secretary underscored that spending in education has fallen by ten percent in the last five years. We are falling behind England, Scotland, Wales, and the Republic of Ireland, all of whom have increased their investment in education. The Institute for Fiscal Studies. Uh, they published a report in April which underlined that Northern Ireland was sort of in line with spending in England, but that was before these cuts um, and before we take into consideration any pay award for teachers in Northern Ireland, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, you know, we really are falling far behind. We could be falling as far as, you know, £2,000 per pupil spend. Um, as what is allocated per pupil in Scotland. So that gives you an idea about just how far behind we're falling. The story behind these budget cuts is that there was an overspend across Northern Ireland departments last year in the budget. And the Northern Ireland Secretary of State and the Treasury in Westminster are seeking this money back. and. In order to do that, departments are going to have to live 
upon the same budget that they had last year. But that doesn't, of course, account from the huge costs attached to inflation. And so that means that there's actually a huge funding gap in what departments need. So a lot of political commentators in Northern Ireland believe that this is a very punitive and punishing budget and that it's really designed to push some of our politicians back into the Northern Ireland executive. I'm sure that many of your listeners will be aware that we have been without a government for two years and some feel that this is a tactic of using austerity, of using cuts to really force governance back into action in Northern Ireland. But our main message in, in the report, or one of our main messages was that it is not permanent secretaries, senior civil servants that ought to be making these decisions around huge cuts, huge and significant cuts that will affect hundreds and thousands of our children and young people our most vulnerable children and young people. And really it is the responsibility of the Northern Ireland Secretary of State to put an interim measure in place to ensure that proper governance in Northern Ireland is implemented. So it's very, very concerning. And, you know, it really seems as though the Northern Ireland Secretary of State is not listening. He is not paying attention. And, you know, with Stormont not sitting, you know, who who's going to listen to your report? Who who is then going to act on 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 this dreadful situation? Paul, that's a very good question. And again, you know, one of the phrases in the report is that the situation is unremittingly bleak, and that is the same in terms of us trying to garner support for this report. You know, we have sent it to politicians who have welcomed it. The Department of Education has welcomed this report, much of it very critical in terms of policy progress around education. The Education Authority, who supports the administration of educational provision in Northern Ireland, has welcomed this report. Our politicians have welcomed this report. But as you say, because there is no Northern Ireland executive or assembly sitting, there's very little that they can do. We are really trying to raise the profile of the issue with the media in the Republic of Ireland and also in you know, the rest of the UK. The austerity, the target of austerity here is so deep and so significant. And we are really disappointed that this isn't a story that is being picked up by mainstream media nationally. Because that really is all we have to rely on in terms of trying to create some accountability mechanisms for the long-term damage that is going to be implemented or is going to be done by these cuts. But surely it's appalling, and it's appalling the story isn't picked up and the report picked up, but it's absolutely appalling that in Northern Ireland, in the coming weeks, we're going to have hungry children on the streets. That, 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 that's dreadful. Surely people must be listening to you. There's been a lot of press, you know, over the last few days about the implications of the cost of living crisis and the harm that has been done to children, hungry children across the whole of the UK. It is absolutely abhorrent. But unfortunately, because of COVID, because of the cost of living crisis, because of 
you know, now 13 long years of austerity, it feels as though poverty, hunger and disadvantage has become completely normalised. And the gap between the richest in society and the poorest in society has grown significantly. And those people at the very top seem to care less for those people at the very bottom. So, you know, really it is an issue that we should be invested in, but it's one that is not garnering political attention, particularly from, from parties such as the Democratic Unionist Party or the DUP, who are currently refusing to go back into the executive. They don't seem to be paying attention to the political or to the social implications of the cost of living crisis and of these huge cuts that are being implemented. Is there a need for schools to do something over the summer? Should we open our doors? Should we have, you know, patrol ladies, canteen ladies, you know, should we all get our sleeves rolled up and start serving dinners? I think it's so difficult. I know, you know, we hosted the event at Curry Primary School yeah. um, and Curry Primary School is a large controlled primary school in a, I suppose, an area of deprivation in Northern Ireland. Um, and they have their own food pantry in the school. Um, it is sort of provided with food from Fair Share, an organisation that sort of um, get food, uh, surplus food from supermarkets and distributed among food banks and other uh, charitable providers. Mrs Galway, who's the principal of the school, said that there's absolutely no doubt that they will have to open that pantry at certain points over the summer because, you know, they know that many of their families will be hungry and will have absolutely no recourse to feed their children. They have been opening the pantry twice a week and I should say that these are activities that teachers are doing on top of their day-to-day -day work. And they will be coming in over the summer on a voluntary basis in order to ensure that they can support the immediate needs of their families. And that is fundamentally wrong. We are seeing our teachers, we are seeing community and voluntary sector organisations step in and do the work of government particularly around the care and safeguarding of our children. And it is an unsustainable situation that cannot continue. I was kind of saying it tongue in cheek because <laughs> listeners to this programme know uh, how much we do support teachers and how much, uh, as you've just outlined, how much teachers give over and above any job description or, or, or any kind of uh, sense of um, duty to the job. They give way above and beyond that. Um, Kira, um, Professor Purdy, Noel was saying that, um, in fact, what's happening now, the, the cuts and so on, uh, go against the UN rights of the children, aspects of the Good Friday Agreement, and uh, a fair start, as we have for uh, children here in Northern Ireland. Is that right? Are, are, are we Absolutely. in contravention we, of the... We, we are in contravention of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, which is the most widely ratified uh, UN convention across the world. And uh, the UK ratified it in 1991. 
we actually saw a quite extraordinary intervention by the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child in their closing observations when they were looking at how the UK was doing in terms of its obligations to uh, the rights of the child and they they emphasised the need for the secretary or for the secretary of state for Northern Ireland to immediately withdraw the budget and to start again because of the harm that it would perpetuate onto children. So we are in complete contravention of uh, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. It completely undermines a fair start. And again, for your listeners, as part of a new decade, new approach deal, which was another deal that sought to bring an executive back to Northern Ireland in 2020. Your listeners may or may not know, for the last six years, we have had a government for the total of about two and a half years. And this deal sought to ensure that all children had a fair start in life and that they were able to access equality of opportunity in terms of education and their future opportunities in terms of employment and social mobility and educational attainment, because figures show what a huge gap there is between those people who are entitled to free school meals and those people who are not. You know, it's, I can't remember the exact figure, but we're over 25 percentage points. You know, it's between 25 and 30 percentage points of a gap at GCSE or equivalent level of those children entitled to free school meals and those who are not. So yes, Professor Noel Purdy, who contributed to our report, brought, led an expert panel and they developed um, 47 smart actions for government in order to really close that educational attainment gap. And these cuts completely fly in the face of everything that was included in Professor Purdy's report, which was published in um, June 2021, uh, so not that long ago. Um, and I mean, Northern Ireland has a dire history of expert reviews and expert panels across departments. I've sat in one myself for the Department for Communities. And what do they do? They sit in the shelf and gather dust. I mean, there's so much expertise and time um, dedicated to those reports, research, talking to people who are directly affected. And then, as I say, because of the lack of government governance and sustained investment, the reports just die a death. It's so depressing. Absolutely. Yes, very depressing. And I think you've kind of answered part of the next question I'm going to ask you there. So we're in contravention of the UN Human Rights uh, uh, Rights of the Child, uh, first art programme that we have here in Northern Ireland and aspects of the Good Friday Agreement. Being in contravention of those three massive important pillars, does, you know, are, are, is there any teeth there? Is, is there anything kind of, you know, is, is anything... You know, did we see UN troops on the streets feeding our, our, our P7s? You know? No, I'm afraid we won't see anything like that. However, a recent development is that on the 22nd of June, the Children's Law Centre in Northern Ireland issued pre-action correspondence to the Northern Ireland Secretary of State to advise that if he didn't withdraw the budget as recommended by the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, that they would seek to judicially review 
um, the budget that had been allocated to education. And I know that the Children's Law Centre are focused on the processes around the implementation of this budget. So, you know, the fact that the impact of it wasn't assessed before many of the cuts have been laid down or implemented. So, I mean, we could see judicial, we could see court action against the Department of Education um, and the Northern Ireland office coming quite rapidly down the line. And I would really welcome that because, you know, where it may not achieve anything in the immediate, immediate, what it might do is pause any further cuts, give schools, school leaders, all those who are invested in children, room to breathe and room to continue to build momentum around the resistance to these cuts. Yeah, it won't feed children, but nonetheless, it's it's, exactly. it's something that's that's going to happen. Yeah. Exactly. Um, now, now we are hoping to speak to Kevin Donachy, uh, principal of St Ronan's, uh, shortly, and that's great. And I'm sure he'll throw an awful lot of very practical uh, light on the the next question, which I'm going to put to you as well, um, Kira. Is this going to affect children's learning? on an individual basis. Now, Northern Ireland, uh, recently Northern Ireland was third in, in, in literacy and in, in the PISA study. I mean, something to be enormously, enormously proud of, not only of our teachers and so on who make that happen, but of our children who, you know, commit to education, they do their best and so on. And there we are, small little country that we are, we are third in the world. Fantastic. Are these cuts, going to affect children's day-to-day -day learning and as we go through is that going to have you know serious impact on them absolutely i think this is definitely a question that kevin will be able to answer much better than me but in terms of the research that we have carried out we do emphasize that the children that will be impacted by these cuts are the most vulnerable children um, and the most disadvantaged in our society so we're going to see hungrier children that are less able to learn and concentrate in the classroom. We are going to see children who, who are more worried and anxious about their situations at home, find it difficult to focus in the classroom. We are going to see ethnic minority children with less support with English language through Engage programme, for example, which provided small group teaching to help children with English language skills. So obviously those children are going to be affected in their learning capacity and um, because it's going to take them longer to, to get a grasp of the English language. And perhaps most heartbreakingly, we're going to see a complete collapse of the special educational needs system. Children who have special educational needs aren't receiving appropriate placements. We have over 800 children in Northern Ireland who are waiting to be placed. They need a special school place, but we, we will probably see a lot of those children ending up in mainstream settings, which is going to um, really impact their access to education. I'm sure Kevin will be able to talk more um, deeply about this from a principal's perspective, but it's very hard to meet a child with really you know complex needs when you don't have the resources um, or perhaps expertise in the school to do that. And we see the budget for SENCOs being cut. So a really difficult situation. So as I say, 
it is brilliant accolade for Northern Ireland to be third on that league table. Um, but I would just re-emphasize the point that there is a big gap between um, you know, the most advantaged children and young people and the most disadvantaged children and young people. And I think what that place on the league table does is it actually hides the educational underattainment of our youngest children and those children who are most disadvantaged. Um, and we're definitely, definitely going to see an impact on their learning. I think something Kevin will probably say as well is that there's, there's, it's likely that there's going to be bigger class classroom sizes, bigger cohorts of children in the one, one class. And that is absolutely going to have an impact on children's learning. And maybe, maybe teachers trying to juggle um, pupils with very complex needs um, and then that means that they may not have the same time for um, children who don't have those complex needs. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and Northern Ireland, um, Northern Ireland is actually very used to being at the top of uh, some of those tables. That's that's quite a, a nice place for us to be. And we feel very at home there. But you're absolutely right. There is uh, what we might call a very long tail that tapers down to to those very children and families uh, that you talk about. Yeah, and uh, yes, it, it it has been in our news as well that um, SEM special education needs children don't have places, and they are going to be uh, placed in in mainstream, which really is ticking a box because, as you say, when they go in there the effort to find the places that they need well if it doesn't cease it at least you know will will uh, slow down it'll it'll decelerate and uh, you know people will be thinking they're there that's fine they're somewhere yes um, yes absolutely that, I, I think that's 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 another and that will become a hidden problem and as you say teachers are left to deal with that then yes. they know they have enough on their plates absolutely mm -hmm. and an overstretched EA, you know, who are, you know, from what I hear, unable to cope with the the problems and demands and issues that teachers are bringing to them. You know, there. I think Sarah Long, the chief executive, or one of the other officials, sorry, in um, EA outlined that they're facing about 2,000 phone calls a week um, from very disgruntled and rightly disgruntled pupils and teachers who cannot get a place for their child in a school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, goodness. 2,000 calls a week? Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's that's, <laughs> that's a statistic that uh, tells you a lot, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go, well-being and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. 
in only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Universities and Colleges Employers Association, UCEA, is playing down the impact a marking boycott is having on students. This is the view of the University and College Union, according to a report on the BBC. The UCEA represents 144 institutions and has released a survey which suggests most student graduations are not being affected by the boycott. This is contrary to the UCU view that this survey accounts for fewer than half of universities. Some students have graduated without their final marks, whilst others have seen graduations delayed. The boycott is part of a long-running dispute over paying conditions, which has been previously reported on Teachers Talk Radio News. Many students have complained about the lack of communication around the impact of the boycott from their universities, whilst others highlight the fact that it is coming at the end of an already fragmented experience of university brought about by the impact of the pandemic. Whilst the UCEA survey suggests that the impact on students is different in each university, its chief was keen to say it showed that the majority of students were not facing a graduation without their final marks, although Raj Jethwa was quick to point out that this would be little comfort to those who were affected. The industrial action in the higher education sector is just part of a wider action being taken by those in education. But Sky News and other outlets reported that PM Rishi Sunak could be considering a block on recommendations by peer review bodies from across the public sector. The teaching peer review body presented its recommendations to ministers and it is expected to be published next month. Leaked reports suggest it could be a proposal of 6.5%. Government sources deny the claims made originally in the Times, but stated that pumping money into the economy risks fueling inflation. In an editorial in The Guardian, recruitment and retention problems were highlighted again, with some alarming figures suggesting that one in four new teachers leave the profession within three years. The piece goes on to cite the huge range of issues that schools deal with, including sexual harassment and bullying, as well as home circumstances and their effects. This view was further emphasised this week with a report from The Observer focusing on the stresses being placed on pupil referral units. The units cater for children who have been excluded from mainstream schools. But leaders are now saying they are full to bursting because of unprecedented levels of behaviour incidents in schools. Data suggests that permanent exclusions are rising after a brief lull on the return to school after the pandemic. The former Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield says in the report that schools are buckling under the pressure of children with complex needs and cites cuts to public services leaving a lack of support in its wake. She called the situation a disaster for vulnerable children. A former head teacher of a Prue instruction on Tees said she had dealt with children spitting, kicking and swearing. Her school had previously tried to take children on short outreach programmes, but now this was impossible due to overload. Finally, the BBC features calls by EastEnders actress Rose Ailing Ellis 
for sign language lessons to be made freely available to those who need them, including parents and carers of deaf children. The British Sign Language user says she cannot believe that some parents and guardians of deaf children have to pay for tuition. The cost of an accredited course can be anywhere between £200 and £700. Martin McLean, Senior Policy Advisor at the National Deaf Children's Society, says funding is inconsistent and a postcode lottery, with some local authorities funding it whilst others don't. Spokesmen for leaders across all four home nations have made statements in support of improving access to BSL, but only the Welsh Government says it is already included in the curriculum for schools. In 2022, the British Sign Language Bill was passed, recognising BSL as an official language, and the Department for Education in England says it is working towards a BSL GCSE, which should be available from September 2025. A spokesperson for the Scottish Government has said that its teaching council is working with the University of Edinburgh on the development of an undergraduate degree in primary education and BSL. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to discuss tech that will help you battle one of the worst things that can possibly happen in school, the summer. Nothing is worse than melting all day while trying to deliver lessons, yet we all have to suffer it. Let's see what tech has to offer you. Through searching the web, I found a few cool gadgets, pun totally intended. Starting with the cheapest, a neck fan. It looks like an 80s pair of headphones around your neck. Rechargeable with different speed settings, it's got some decent reviews and at £14 may be worth a try. Although high settings have more noise so it might not be great for quiet times. For £20 you can get a personal air cooler. This has a tank of water so not only fans you but uses the water to super cool the air. Nice. £29 gets you a waist fan. Clip it onto your belt or use the belt supplied and it blows up your shirt. Again, rechargeable and you can choose a front or back position. As with the previous though, noise may be a problem. Next, staying with the fan idea, for £79 you can get a cooling vest. This is a vest filled with fans, not unlike those you see on novelty inflatable fancy dress suits. The fans pass cool air over you and you stay cool. Again, noise is a factor here though. If you're willing to splash out for £100, how about a cooling vest with elements instead? Basically, it looks like an FBI bulletproof vest you see on TV, filled with reusable ice packs. It's obviously very quiet, however, will make squeezing through tight spaces a little more difficult. Also, preparation is needed as the packs will need to be frozen overnight. In conclusion, fans are the cheapest way to go and you look like you're standing in hero wind, but noise is a factor. Vests may keep you cool, but you certainly will not look it. I suppose you could always try sticking an ice pack in a plastic bag and putting it in your pocket. What do you do to stay cool? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So we're able now to go across to Kevin, Kevin Donachy. You're the principal of St. Ronan's Primary School in Newry. You're very welcome to the show. And Kevin, you're still in school, working away at this time of night. Kevin, you've you've spoken recently about, um, in very practical ways, about how the cuts in the report have affected you and your school. Tell us some of the things that you see 
as being problematic with the cuts? Well, one of the biggest things that would be problematic with the cuts is the amount of them. Uh, they seem to be coming daily. Uh, they are all the non-statutory um, funding streams that the department would do, but they're key in the life of a school. One of them is that this year we were able, through funding from DE, to have a primary school counselling programme. Now, for our own school, that meant that 26 children benefited from counselling. Uh, I have been an advocate of primary school counselling for a long time um, because of a couple of things. Firstly, we had a child here a number of years ago who um, had an eating disorder and we weren't able to support them. They needed play therapy, but we did not have the funding to be able to do it. And another one was we had a child in P7 who had actually started cutting himself very badly due to moving on stress, transition issues. And we just could not source counselling. Now, this year, we have had a number of children. You know, COVID has had a lot um, to answer for. And um, we have a child at the minute who's gone through counselling because of anxiety issues. And she is only 10. And she would describe the days that she has as a black cloud descending on herself and she just can't be happy you know and these are the children who are benefiting from this counseling program um at the minute as a school the funding for it finished at the end of march and we're funding this piece ourselves. but these are some of the children who if we weren't able to offer that service would be referred to cams and the cams waiting list is about a year, a year and a half. So that child will be moving into post-primary with a lot of anxiety. And again, maybe going through puberty, hormones, and those problems will be exacerbated. And that was, um, that was Happy Minds, Kim, was it? That was Healthy Happy Minds. Healthy Happy Minds, yeah. You know, we also have Northern Ireland Libraries. They would have operated the Big Summer Read, funded by the UK Reading Agency. And now we would have been very strong supporters of it here and encouraging our children to participate over the summer. You know, there's all the research about lost learning, especially over the summer, the long summer holidays. Uh, you know, we have been encouraging our children to participate. You know, we would have celebrated their reading rewards whenever they come back in September. And um, we were promoting it here in school. We happened to phone the library to say, look, we haven't received any of your literature yet only to be told that it had been withdrawn and that they were going to do a new pilot and they were only going to offer that pilot to two schools locally in Uri. Goodness. And, you know, so again... How, how, do you, then, how, how does anybody make that choice? Well, seemingly the criteria was up to the local librarian to decide on the schools that were going to participate. Right. And we weren't made aware of the criteria that was used. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole program that has yeah. disappeared that supported learning over the summer yeah. that nobody was ever made aware of was disappearing. Yeah. Um, you know, again, school crossing patrols. Yeah. Um, we are situated between three big post-primary schools in the nursery. Um, our crossing patrol is gone. We're now not able to have a crossing patrol. And you have probably in the region of over a thousand children coming out 
going into school mm -hmm. at one time. Um, the P7 cycling scheme, the safety scheme. You know, children love going out on the bikes, P7s. They've got a little bit more independence, moving on to big school. This would have made them aware of road hazards, giving them a certificate for safety, funding for it completely withdrawn. Again, there's all the literature into um, how early intervention encouraging children to read and read with their parents. The P1 book program pulled. We're the only region, I think, within the UK that isn't participating in this anymore. Um, then we have had, like England has had a 6% uplift in the direct school budget. We have had a 2.7% cut. Yeah. Um, you know, the list is endless and it goes on. The free school meals, holiday payments mm -hmm. scheme. And, you know, a free school meal for a lot of children is maybe the only substantial meal they have in the day. Pulled. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it, there's so many of them coming. It is hard to remember, but every one of them has an impact in school mm -hmm. and in children. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them seem to be the programs that fund at primary schools. Yeah. Now, at school, you know, we rely, because of our low percentage of free school meals, we rely on our DE block grant. We have no other funding stream. Mm -hmm. um, so, again with the reduction in the school budget there's less and less that we can actually do you also have the likes of the send implementation money for the 2016 send act which was reduced by half mm -hmm. we have 48 children on statements 43 with ieps uh, the enormous amount of work and paperwork that goes into supporting those children, the myriad of services that go in to supporting those children between education and health. So that means that my Senco has had their release time cut from six days to three days. Hang on, let me cancel this off. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay, so don't worry. Our, <laughs> who phoned school at 22 or past seven? <laughs> I, know. Right? I know. Um, so as I was saying, our send implementation money has been cut in half. Yeah. So his release time has been cut from six days per month to three days per month. Mm -hmm. And that's to try and get through all the paperwork to liaise with the likes of education psychology, to liaise with all the other agencies, to monitor IEPs and um, you know, to support children with special educational needs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How can you do that in three days? To also release teachers to meet parents who maybe want to talk to their children or who want to talk to the teacher about their child. Yeah. Or to give that teacher a little bit of time to actually write their IEP or monitor the IEP or even for the two of them to meet together yeah. to discuss the IEP. So, you know, it does seem to be that the cuts focused more on the bottom line of the EU budget than on the child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a devastating picture. Uh, you're painting, as did Kira as well. Um, Kira talked a little bit about the consequences as well over the longer term. You know, we know we had COVID and we're dealing and picking up the pieces and dealing with consequences now. As a result of these cuts, do you see 
longer term consequences as well? Well, you know, there's going to be longer term consequences in terms of children's mental health yeah. is the first one. You know, you have Maslow's hierarchy of need. Children need their basic needs met. They need to feel safe. They need to feel secure. They need to be confident before they will learn. You know, so you have issues with children's well-being, which is going to impact their learning. Mm -hmm. You have the likes, you know, we had the engaged funding as well. And again, that was the funding to be able to help catch up on lost learning. That has gone. The reduction in the direct budget to schools means that no longer are we going to be able to offer the programs of withdrawal support mm -hmm. that we were able. So you're going to have children who will struggle more, who will find school a struggle, and who possibly then want to move into post-primary, you know, become your school refuser mm -hmm. because they've just a problem. You know, you have huge waiting lists for access and educational psychology. So again, you know, that attainment gap is going to widen. Yeah. There's going to be such a huge, I would fear for what the impact of these cuts now are going to be for the longer term, because there's probably going to be things happen that we can't predict. Yeah. You know, and again, for children, um, you know, for free school meals is maybe their own meal of the day. Yeah. You know, there's a whole summer there that we don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, I can only look as far as P7 in the primary school. Um, you know, in primary, you know, as I had said at the um, launch of the report on Tuesday, you know, primary schools have always been the correlation within the education system. We have always been underfunded. We have historically been underfunded in Northern Ireland in comparison with the other nations and regions of the UK. And, you know, primary schools deliver some of the best results. We have been the victim of our own success. But that has been done through stick and plasters and goodwill. Yeah. And I think that goodwill has gone, especially whenever you consider teachers haven't had a pay rise in Northern Ireland for the last three years. And we have significantly fallen behind our counterparts in England and in Scotland. Like the pay differential between Northern Ireland and Scotland, I think, is £10,000 per year. So, you know, I have heard like, Newry is a border town. We're close to the Republic of Ireland. So a lot of younger teachers who are qualified and living round about the border counties actually go and teach in the Republic of Ireland because you have better conditions of service. Uh, you only work 185 days instead of 195 and you get paid more. Yeah. I've also heard of teachers um, round about Larne up in South Antrim who hop on the boat on a Sunday night, go over to Scotland, work Monday to Friday, and then right. get the boat back to the weekend. Mm -hmm. So we are storing up, you know, the longer term is, you know, principals have been warning about these budget cuts for the last 10 years. You know, nobody can say that we didn't know that this was coming. My fear is that we're also sleepwalking into a teacher recruitment crisis because our teachers are going other places that are um, better paid. Like the number of young teachers who are actually going to the Middle East, who are yeah. going to Australia. You know, you cannot recruit a classroom assistant in Northern Ireland. You get better paid working in Tesco or McDonald's. Mm -hmm. You know, and all of those are going to have 
a huge impact in the classroom because the children aren't going to get the support they need. You know, we have prided ourselves in Northern Ireland as having a very good educational system. But again, in five to 10 years, are we going to have that? You know, again, another thing is a couple of years ago, we're the only European country not to have a primary school modern foreign language program. There's only one other European country that doesn't have it too. And we have our Department of Education looking at the number of children taking languages at post-primary, scratching their head and saying, why are people not um, taking up a second language? Because it's in primary school at the early age where the children develop that love of learning. Mm -hmm. You're developing that at a young age. Of course, they're going to continue on. You know, another thing is England have the sports premium, which is funded through the sugar tax levy. We did have the primary fundamental sports program here in Northern Ireland. We still have the sugar tax levy, but one of the cuts a couple of years ago was the primary sports program. Mm-hmm. You know, where has that money gone? Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm saying. You know, we talk about obesity and storing up the problems and trying to make children healthy and participate in sports. But we have cut the funding that actually allowed that to happen. And again, it was reinstated in a smaller version. And again, that's one of the things that has been recently cut out. There's no more funding for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Kevin, the cuts are having a devastating impact on children, young people, especially primary school age that you teach. But as I listen to you there, they're also having a devastating impact on schools and teachers and teachers morale. What what are you seeing as the damage that's happening to teachers as a result of the cuts? Well, as you know, currently at the minute, um, for a long number of years, teachers were on industrial action here in Northern Ireland. And that was only resolved last year for a very short period because a pay award happened. And again, because there was no progress towards last year's pay and this year's pay, um, teachers voted again to go back in industrial action. Teachers are burnt out. Um, The morale of the teaching profession has plummeted significantly. In Northern Ireland, we have the National um, Association of Head Teachers, who would have been the most conservative of the teaching unions, going out on strike action with all the other unions as well. And that is something unheard of. Mm. You know, I know myself, and again, um, I did say it on Tuesday, um, talking to my principal colleagues, I have never heard so many of them looking forward to retirement or actively seeing at what age they can retire Mm -hmm. because they are burnt out. They just cannot do the job anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I worked out, um, we talked about it in our cluster group, most principals would do about 50 plus hours per week. Mm -hmm. You average that out over the course of the 195 days, 32 weeks, you're talking an additional 300 plus hours Mm -hmm. in that time period. Mm -hmm. So where teachers have their um, working time cap, principals don't, Mm -hmm. you know, that transpires into a 30 extra days worked on paid. Yeah. 
Yeah. At least, you know, Kevin, because, yeah. you know, before earlier today, you and I both talked, um, you know, uh, but you're going to go to Spain, but you're bringing your laptop to check emails. Um, you're in your school now, as we're doing this right now. So, you know, the hours are phenomenal. Yeah. And the impact must be huge. You know, yeah. we're brave and we're courageous. And, you know, there, there's nobody like the teachers of Northern Ireland, really. But there must be a cost. There must be a personal cost as well. There definitely is a personal cost. Like, you know, who really does think about the well-being of teachers and principals? You know, the Department of Education have a duty and they have a policy, but it's unfunded. You know, and as they say, words are cheap. It's the actions that count. Yeah. And again, um, you know, listening to the Permanent Secretary on Tuesday, he fully acknowledges mm. that teachers and principals deserve a pay raise mm. and their terms and conditions like that. But it's like old Mother Hubbard, whenever she went to the cupboard, the cupboard was bare. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what he's basically saying. You know, we know this, yeah. but there's no money. Yeah. You know, um, I'll give you an example. Like um, a number of principal clusters wrote to the Northern Ireland Secretary of State um, at the start of May. I'm sorry, the end of May, um, saying about how devastating these cuts were and the impact on children. I don't think he responded to any of those letters. Okay. And we all get a standard letter back from the Northern Ireland office, not even signed. Hmm. I think it was the resourcing group within the Northern Ireland office basically saying, listen, this isn't our fault. This is the fault of your assembly. Hmm. And because your assembly is not up and running, and you don't have an executive, I had to impose this budget. Tough. Hmm. You know, but this is the North, this is the UK government's representative in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Who is saying that? Mm-hmm. What is he saying to our children? Yeah. That they're not important. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I'm saying. I can't understand how come in England there's recognition that they need a 6% uplift. Mm-hmm. But in Northern Ireland, we get a 2.7% cut. Yeah. yeah, we are, are historically underfunded. Yeah, mm-hmm. the you title, know, of the, yeah, the title of this show is Northern Ireland: The Poor Relative, and I think you yeah. know, as I listen to you and as I listen to Kira, it's very, very clear that we are the poor and possibly forgotten relative. Yeah, you know, and that's what I'm saying. You know, um, the Northern Ireland executive overspent their budget by three hundred million. Mm. And as you know yourself, um, if there's an uplift in spending in England, we get that through the Barnet Consequentials. Mm-hmm. Now, the agreement made um, between the Northern Ireland Office and the Treasury is that any uplift that comes through the Barnet Consequentials goes to pay that £300 million. Mm-hmm. Does not come to supporting schools. Yeah. And our problem is we have been living on short-term funding. We have been looking at, is there a wee bit of money left in the pot during the mid-year review? We'll stick it into health. We'll stick it into education. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, somebody told me the Department of Education in Northern Ireland have more pilots than Ryanair. <laughs> but, you know, they are only pilots. They last a year, two years, and then the funding's pulled because there's no money. Yeah. You know, no. there's no long-term strategic thinking and funding to follow through. Mm. You know, like, as a wee young teacher coming out, um, I always thought the people at the top had this great master plan. They had this great vision, 
they knew what they were doing. But like I've been a principal now, this is my 20th year being a principal. And the more I see, the more I think that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we have an education authority who some brilliant people there, and I could list the people, absolutely brilliant at their job, gems. But as an organization, are completely dysfunctional. And you know yourself, prior to the Education Authority coming on board, we had the old Education and Library mm-hmm. Boards, and I worked in the Southern Education and Library Board. And if I compare the Education Authority for Northern Ireland and the Southern Education Authority, there's no comparison. Mm-hmm. I would be an advocate for saying, let us return to the old board structure. You know, uh, the review of public administration, um, it promised so much. And that promised the millions, if we went to these big organisations, the millions that would be saved through cost um, efficiencies, and they would all be pushed through into the front line, nothing. Mm-hmm. So you had a vision, but that vision delivered nothing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a bit like um, the whole transformation programme that's ongoing. Uh, all I ever hear is transformation and capacity building. Mm-hmm. And that's like, oh, let's capacity build the teachers. Let's transform this. But nothing happens. You know, teachers can only, you have 30 children in your class and you're teaching them from nine o'clock to three o'clock every day. There's only so much capacity you can build because at the end of the day, you are that one person with these 30 other little people with very diverse needs. Yeah. What we need is support, resource and funding rather than transformation and capacity building. Yeah. Do you think it'll happen? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, because, you know, again, how many politicians have you heard speak out about the cuts to education? Oh, not too many at the minute. Not too many of them saying yeah, yeah. anything at the minute. Yeah. You know, the the silence itself is deafening. It is. You know, and again, as so many people have said, you cannot see the cuts to education. Yeah. Um, you know, um, Angie from the West Belfast Partnership was on Good Morning Ulster yesterday. And she herself was saying, you know, you go into a hospital and you see the effects of cuts with trolley weights, mm. waiting for operations, um, waiting to go and see your GP get a hospital appointment. But parents drop their children off at the gate or the door of the school the children go in there 93 and then they pick them up. But they don't see how schools are operating. They don't see the impact that the cuts are having in school mm-hmm. and how staff are being demoralised mm-hmm. as well. Because like I said to you yourself, you know, my budget, 96% of my budget goes to pay my staff. Mm-hmm. I am then left with about 50000 to run my school. And that's to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely everything. We don't get anything for free. Mm-hmm. Once I pay all my bills, I am in deficit. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even have money to buy anything mm-hmm. for the children because I have to pay my gas bill. I have to pay the electricity bill. I have to pay the telephone bill. I have to pay the photocopiers. I have to pay the grounds maintenance to get the grass cut. You know, they're all priorities. I have to pay the sub teacher to come in to cover the teacher who's off sick or out at a training course. Mm-hmm. Once they're all paid, there's nothing left. So I'm in deficit, 
Now, we have the Department of Education and the Education Authority say, live within your budget. You're not allowed to go into that. But how do I buy, how, you know, how do I buy the scissors, the blue tack, the pret stick, the paint, the sand, the sharpeners, the rubbers, the books that we write on mm-hmm. for the kids? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't. Mm-hmm. I have to go into deficit to buy that. And like, I worked that out. That works out that on the children in my school, both last year and this year, I am spending 3p per pupil per day. That's shocking. Like, what, yeah. what can you buy for three pence? <laughs> Nothing. You can't buy a penny chew. Penny you, chew can't, you can't buy no, a penny chew. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. You know, and that is what I am left to spend. Yeah. You know, and it used to be that, you know, the likes of your parents' support group or your PTA bought mm-hmm. you the nice things. No, they're actually buying the essentials. Yeah. Any fundraising that goes on in school is to pay for the essentials. It's to pay for the footballs for PE or the new goalposts or the mats. Mm-hmm. It's to pay for the iPads. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Because schools just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And... I have heard now whereby there are certain, as you know, we use a procurement system here in Northern Ireland yeah. to through our education authority. Yeah. I've actually heard of principals who have had their purchases returned because they're told, sorry, there's not the money there in your budget mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so LMS was brought in under Margaret Thatcher and it was this great revolution that schools will be able to prioritise their spending. Mm-hmm. And I remember whenever I was a wee young thing at um, teacher training college writing a report on it, you know, where they, there was a report in one of the papers and it said, you know, schools will be actually left with the decision, do they buy the children a set of textbooks or do they fix the window? Mm-hmm. And that's where we are and have been for quite a period of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and again, the person who gets blamed for making that decision is the principal. It all falls on our shoulders. You know, your parents may be complaining because, you know, somebody has gone home and the reading book's tatty and all the rest and there's maybe a page ripped out. Or, you know, you have the teacher complaining because the toilet's still not fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not the money in the budget to fix the toilet. You know, these are the decisions that we're having to take day and daily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very harsh decisions. Yeah. They are. Yeah, they you are. Know, because be and it is i know for all the people who do my job i know for all the teachers in the classroom the children are their number one priority yeah you know and it's those 30 31 32 people in front of them yeah but as you say yeah commitment is invisible so nobody comes into your school and measures commitment and what teachers do and the amount of time they spend the things they do and then you know, possibly a blind eye's turned to it. And, yeah. you know, schools are ticking over, schools are happening, you know, and politicians and people have other priorities, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you we see, don't come across it. as important. Yeah, but this is it, because schools still happen. We're yeah. still doing the job. We're yeah. making a broken system work. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I said, you know, we are a victim of our own success because mm-hmm. we are making this system, which is broken, mm-hmm. work. You know, and we are picking up 
the shortage, you know, the shortages of all the other services. Mm-hmm. You know, being a teacher is now no longer about being a teacher. <laughs> being a teacher is about being a counsellor. Yeah. It is about being a social worker. Yeah. It is about being um, the doctor. All without the doctor. all without training. Yeah. You don't get training for the the social work or the counselling or the doctoring that you do on a daily basis. You know, you look at the rise of the number of children coming through with different medical needs. Mm-hmm. You know, who need EpiPens, who are diabetic, type 1 insulin dependent, mm-hmm. uh, asthma. And that is all left to the teacher to administer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you said, we're not trained. We're no. trained as teachers. We have to do the teaching all the time. And we're measured on yeah. that. You know, you're quite seriously measured on that. And it is, it's a credit to Northern Ireland that we do really well. I know Kira and I talked about the uh, PISA tables and, you know, Northern Ireland's third in, in terms of literacy. Tremendous, outstanding. And, you know, due credit to the children themselves who listen, work hard and, and do their best. But the teachers have a phenomenal input into that. And as you say, you know, that uh, summer reading programme has been cut. You know, dreadful. Absolutely mm-hmm. dreadful. Yeah. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, when was the last time a teacher ever asked a doctor to teach reading? Yeah. Well, we are the speech and language therapist. We are the occupational therapist. When was the last time a teacher ever asked yeah. an OT to teach a maths lesson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we're still expected to deliver all those other things, yeah. as well as be accountants, as well as be human resource managers. Mental health experts and everything. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and again, if you look at the number, you know, it's very sad. Some of the cases, especially in England, where um, children through safeguarding have become injured. Hmm. The first people where they turn to, and I've heard it said, the gatekeepers of safeguarding are teachers in the school. Yeah. But we're not trained to be, you know, mm-hmm. gatekeepers mm-hmm. for that level of abuse. Mm-hmm social workers yeah. yeah but you're putting that onus on a teachers to do that role that we're not trained in yeah mm-hmm. you know and i think the burden that has been put on teachers is now becoming huge yeah yeah it's certainly a very disproportionate burden for the contribution we make to to not just to the children we teach but to society and future society and you know employability and and, and all sorts of things it's very much disproportionate disproportionate and, and not recognized rarely yeah, recognized not- you know i think you know earlier today we talked about um you know parents and you'd said you know you got one letter yes it's representative of you know 80 percent of the parents you know but um just statistically you know that's that's not a high level of recognition no but can i tell you that one letter because it was about a number of teachers in the school and another, a number of staff mm-hmm. and I went round and I read the letter and with the Board of Governors meeting there this evening and I took it to the Board of Governors and told the Board of Governors about it. But that one letter made such a huge difference to those people. For that parent to take time, first of all, to write and to say, thank you so much for doing such a brilliant job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that meant so much to all of those people who were mentioned in the letter. It's you very, know, uh, it's very nourishing, isn't it? It, it, it? It's nourishing to all of us 
and we like to hear it, we need to hear it to sustain our energy and keep us going. Yeah. Well, it's the fact of that you know that somebody appreciates the job you're doing mm -hmm. and the time you're investing in their children. Mm -hmm. You know, because I don't think there's a teacher who I know who wants to see a child fail. Every teacher I know wants to see their child do the very, very best mm -hmm. and will overcome barriers to do that. You know, like I know myself, and again, I worked in a socially deprived area. You did have the packet of biscuits in your drawer for the mm -hmm. child who came in, who you knew maybe didn't have anything to eat. Yeah. Or, you know, you did have, you know, you went to the lost and found box to maybe find additional clothing for that child who you knew the parents were struggling. Or, you know, you did go out and maybe use your own money to buy that thing and pretend it was in the lost and found box. You know, mm. and how many teachers don't go out off their own bat and buy additional resources, you know, for their class? Like, as I was saying, this is the last full day of term. And, you know, the teachers were coming in to give their children a party and have wee party bags for them and all the rest. Mm. You know, because no teacher wants to see a child be unhappy, struggle or not succeed. But again, I don't think society sees that. And always remember a quote, you know, the children are our living future. So what message are we given to that future by the amount of cuts that we're imposing on them today? What are we saying about this whole generation of children going through primary school, going through post-primary school and the level of cuts? You know, we're saying to you, your education is worth 3p a day. That's all I'm prepared to spend on you. You know, a prisoner in jail gets more spent on them, on their dinner. Yeah. And that child's getting. Mm -hmm. Good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I'm saying. And again, I have to do it because I'm primary school. We are the poor relations. You know, a primary school teacher here works the longer day in comparison with her post-primary counterparts. Mm. You know, we don't get those release times. You know, I'm not complaining because I love the job, but you know, we are funded, we get the least amount of funding to do the same level of work and work the longer day. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think that's fair. No. You know, you think yourself, if you are a P7 teacher and you have 30 children in your class and you that day have taught English and maths, and history, and a bit of geography, and then you've gone out for PE, and you've maybe done a bit of religion, there's five sets of 30 books that you have to mark at the end of the day. And it's all very diverse books. And if you have been doing story writing in P7, it's not a very simple of, oh, are we taking off you go? You know, you actually take time to spend and read that child's story because they have put their heart and soul into it. Yeah. So, you know, it is a tough job. Mm -hmm. It's but a very again, tough job. You know, people don't see that. It's like report writing, you know, writing reports for the end of the year. Mm. The blood, sweat and tears that goes into writing a pupil's report because you want it to accurately, accurately reflect the child and what they have done. Mm. Kevin, it's been great talking to you. I could listen to you all evening. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're out of time. And you've had an extremely long, demanding and busy day. 
Now, Kevin, we've two guests this evening. Normally, I ask a guest, um, if you had a magic wand and you only had one wish, what would you wish for that would just transform education? Oh, what would I wish? I think I would wish for the recognition of politicians and especially our Secretary of State. Uh, now, I do know that Shadow Secretary of State maybe has a wee bit more insight into the issues. To see the contribution that teachers, principals, and again, I have, because I'm a primary school teacher, primary schools make to the lives of the children and to value that contribution and that we are fairly funded for the job we do. That's a super wish. Let's hope it comes true. Kevin, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much for giving us the time and your insights into what is a very difficult time under normal circumstances, but much more exacerbated under the cuts that we have at present in Northern Ireland. Thank you. Thank you. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. So I think we're able to go back over to Kira now. Kira, you mentioned at the beginning of the program that there would be problems in the future as a result of these cuts. If I could read just a line from the report, it says the short term savings which are made by cutting programs to tackle educational disadvantage are likely to be dwarfed by the costs which will be generated in the long term. I wonder, could you clarify for us just, you know, what that means and, and what kind of scale we're talking about there? So in terms of what we're talking about is, you know, it's been acknowledged that a good education or access to a good education, attainment of, you know, a minimum level of GCSEs or equivalent is a massive contributor to your future um, as an individual. Um, and your ability to achieve in life in terms of securing and maintaining employment. So, you know, we really look at this as the long-term impacts on Northern Ireland's economic prosperity, because we're going to see that underachievement gap that's already there expand um, and widen. We're going to see less and less young people leaving school with the, the grades and the attainment levels that they need to get into the workplace or to really fulfill the, the labour needs of Northern Ireland. And, you know, and I know that there's um, a particular a particular focus on uh, the IT industry and sort of those 
technological advances um, and a, a major problem will be that they literally don't have the younger people in North, Northern Ireland coming out of school or higher education with the, the qualifications to fulfil those needs and roles, which in the long term means less investment, and less companies coming to Northern Ireland. As well as that, you know, those children who are not able to eat on a regular basis or, you know, aren't able to have their nutritional needs met, they're going to encounter long term health issues, you know, chronic health issues. We're going to see more pressure on our health service. I don't know if you heard the story yesterday, but we have the highest numbers in McGabry prison at the minute. We're at 1200 prisoners. They had to open up an old wing of the prison because of the increasing number of people. Now, I know that this is a very tenuous link, but one would have to question whether the cost of living crisis is driving up crime. Um, again, lack of educational attainment is going to lead to more people turning to criminal endeavours to secure money. So it's going to cost all public services in the long term. We will see more pressure on our health service. We will see more pressure on our justice sector. We will see more pressure on our care system, our social care system, children's services. We will see more pressure um, on employers in terms of securing the workers that they need. And we may see rising rates in what's called economic inactivity. We're sitting around 30% of people in Northern Ireland who aren't looking for a job or who are not in work. That's higher than other parts of the UK. It's for many reasons, because they have a caring responsibility, because they are sick or disabled, or because they do not have the educational attainment levels to secure appropriate work. Um, and therefore, they are completely marginalised. So, really, these cuts are a false economy. They're, They're a actually false going to economy. Cost, yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. They're going to cost millions and millions of pounds down the line, as well, we see more and more young people not achieving the goals that they ought to be. Over a lifetime, it'll probably be more than millions and millions, I, yes. I suspect. Yeah. Is the minister not a clever man? Are not the people who sit uh, and now it has to be in Westminster and so on, and, and who made these decisions, are they not clever people? Can they not see this? Do they not want to make uh, a clever investment in Northern Ireland? I think what this has shown is the complete ignorance of Westminster to Northern Ireland, the complete lack of duty of care of both Westminster and indeed the Irish government, because both are co-signatories of the Good Friday Belfast Agreement. So it really does show a complete negligence of our peace process and of, you know, the 25 years of development after the Good Friday Agreement. The Northern Ireland Secretary of State is an MP for Daventry in, uh, in England. He couldn't be further away from Northern Ireland. He's not invested here. He doesn't live here. He shoots in and out for photograph opportunities. Um, he doesn't take the time to understand just what these cuts mean to the people of Northern Ireland. He is completely detached from 
us and our people and our children and young people. Um, and I'm sure that there are listeners to your programme, Paul, from the north of England, from Scotland, from Wales, who feel exactly the same. Um, and that's why we see, um, you know, the campaigns and efforts around increased devolution um, or, you know, increased push for a different constitutional settlement. So we know in Northern Ireland we're hearing louder conversations or louder chorus about um, reunification with the Republic of Ireland who have invested 19% in their education system over the, the previous number of years, who are showing that they have higher educational attainment levels and higher economic outcomes for their children and young people. You know, these cuts are making a very strong argument for change. Absolutely, yeah, and there we are back to being the poor relative again, very much, yeah. Kira, what can people do, what, what can, you know, people who aren't that kind of decision maker at that level, what, what, what can ordinary people do? What can ordinary people do? Good question. Um, I think if we have any sort of teachers from Northern Ireland listening um, and also, you know, any kind of people who want to show solidarity with the situation in Northern Ireland, I would I would recommend emailing the Secretary of State's, uh, you know, Northern Ireland office email address. And which can be easily found online um, and really just flood his, you know, flood his inbox with, um, suggest, you know, with evidence that these cuts are going to do long term harm. Attach the report if you if you would like, um, you know, copy and paste bits out of it, whatever, you know, that's that's one of the main motivations behind the report. And um, we want it to be used by teachers. We want it to be used by organisations in the sector to support to support the campaigns that many people are uh, running at the minute around um, resistance to these cuts. So I think that's something that we can do and just keep talking to your local politicians as well and say, look, this isn't good enough. We're not going to stand for this for our children and young people um, and something has to end. Thanks. Yeah, great, great idea. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Northern Irish, Northern Irish people are lots of things. I can say that I am one. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're lots of things, but we are good in a crisis. So come on, everybody, get those. We are uh, good in a crisis, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that was one thing that came out of the launch event uh, um, on Tuesday was, you know, we were all in it together. We were all speaking with the one voice, um, and you know. The media has been very supportive as well in terms of BBC Northern Ireland um, and UTV, which are our local, which are our local media outlets, and they have been very supportive in terms of raising public con public consciousness around this issue. After the launch of the report, BBC Northern Ireland did a whole uh, morning, a special sort of episode of Good Morning Ulster in a school. Um, and it was very heartening to hear some of the people who had been at the launch of the report repeat the same messages um, as, as are found in there. So I think there's a lot of solidarity, a lot of people coming together. But I would tend to agree with a lot of people who say, why are we not out in the streets around this? You know, mm -hmm. why are we not? Because the harm is so significant. It would be a, a, probably a very valid and valuable and, and good and proper thing to be out in the streets pro protesting about rather than some of the other things we maybe protest about. Kira, listen, it's been great 
talking to you. Uh, there's a lot of information that we need to put into the uh, show notes. Generally, at the end of this program, I ask people um, if they had a magic wand and only one wish, what would they wish for? Now, it's generally, you know, to change education. You, Mike, would allow you today to broaden that out. So you've got one wish, Kira, with a magic wand. What spell would you cast to improve everybody's life? I would like a general election right now. I would like to see the end of the Conservative Party in government. And I would like to see somebody who values Northern Ireland in post in Northern Ireland, somebody like a leader like we had, like Mo Molan, who oversaw the path to the Good Friday Belfast Agreement, who cared about Northern Ireland, cared about our future, to show some leadership um, and to help us because we really need help at the moment. That's a super spell. Let's hope it comes true. Kira, it's, it's been absolutely riveting talking to you. Thank you very much and good luck with everything that the report hopes to achieve. I am absolutely certain everybody in Northern Ireland is behind you. Thanks so much, Paul.